The reading today comes from Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has given freely, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their full to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hopes in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Well, recently I was uh, asked to participate in a church research survey exploring uh, some of the developments of children's ministry and looking at uh, what was going on in children's ministry at our church. At the start of the survey, they asked me uh, to identify the category that I would place our church in. Now, there, there were probably about 12 categories in the list uh, of how you could describe the church, but none of them really grabbed me. didn't really think we were liberal, I didn't really think we were Anglo-Catholic and there were a few other descriptions that didn't grab me and what I really wanted to say was actually we're a Trinitarian church but that wasn't on the list. I think the reason it's probably not on the list is because all churches would say theologically that they're Trinitarian. I, I, I can, you know, I can understand that there are probably some churches who are probably so liberal that actually that they wouldn't even say that they're Trinitarian in case that causes division. But, but I think most Christian churches that are orthodox in their beliefs would say that they're Trinitarian. But I think there are some churches that, whilst they're theologically Trinitarian, functionally, if you hang around them a bit, they, they don't function like a Trinitarian church. So, so there are some churches that you go to where they talk about, about the Bible so much and they really don't mention the Trinity. So, if you were an outsider looking in, you would think that somehow this is our God, this book that we hand out at the start of our service is our God. There, there are other churches that talk about the liturgy so much and put so much effort into the liturgy that if you were an outsider walking in, you would think that somehow there's something magical going on in the liturgy itself. You see, there are other churches 
that, that talk about Father God a lot, but the rest of the Trinity is kind of dropped off in the lingo. There are some churches that are talking about Jesus so much and they put Jesus on the front of their church and, and they just talk about Jesus so much, but you really don't hear much about the other two parts of the Trinity. And uh, Mike Bird, theology lecturer at Ridley, said that you could almost think that they're Jesus Unitarian churches, not Trinitarian church. And, and then maybe, you know, a church that I might identify a little bit more with, but the, the charismatic churches, you know, it's, it's important to sort of think about the Trinity, but some charismatic churches drift so far in focusing on the Holy Spirit that, again, you, you would kind of forget that the role of the Holy Spirit is to draw us to the other parts of the Trinity. So, it seems like, in reality, most churches theologically would say that they're Trinitarian, but they're functional Unitarians. They focus on one part of the Trinity. It, it's kind of like we need to, to focus on a three-legged stool, and I was asking about your image of the Trinity, and, and it's kind of like if you've got that symbol on the top left of the screen, it's, it's hard to get a sense of, of how the whole thing falls apart. The same if you've got a three-leaf clover and you cut one of the leaves off, it sort of still becomes a leaf that helps the plant. But I think you all understand, don't you, that if I was to try and sit on this stool and cut off one of the legs, then really it's just me holding myself up. There's nothing, the stool doesn't work. If, if we take away one of the legs of the Trinity, it, the whole thing falls apart. So, if a church is just focused on Jesus and doesn't understand that actually the Jesus points us to the Father and that Jesus said that He would go and ascend and sit on the throne and would send the Holy Spirit and it's the Holy Spirit that draws us to Jesus. Again, if some people forget the Holy Spirit, I keep saying this time and time again, but if anybody knows Jesus, they only know Jesus because the Holy Spirit has led them there. So the Holy Spirit is vital for us, and I'll get to that. And then God the Father. We need God the Father because God the Father created all things. I mean, we'll get to it in a moment, but all parts of the Trinity were there from creation. But we need to understand that God sits above all things and was before all things. That We, we need all three, but... I also want us to understand that the, the Orthodox churches, our Eastern brothers and sisters, have actually got something right in that they, they, they focus on the oneness. We can have arguments in the West about the role of the threeness, but it's the oneness that also makes a difference. You see, the, the Bible is actually full of Trinitarian references. I, I know there'll be some theologians who say you can't work out the Trinity from from the Bible. You, you, you can, what I think they mean by that, and if you've ever heard that, what they actually mean by that is that the reason that the heretics had arguments in the early church was because they could see the Trinity in the Bible, but some of the, the, the understandings of how the Trinity works, it's complicated to get just from the Scriptures. So, if you look at both those readings that I've given you on your sheet, you'll see in, in Romans and in Ephesians just two Bible readings that we could pull out, if we actually colour code the, the, the role of the Father, the role of the Son, the role of the Holy Spirit, we can see some similarities across those elements of green. 
we can see some similarities across those elements of purple, we can see the similarities across those redness, but we can also see how even in Romans and in Ephesians, there's some slightly different understandings of the role of each of the elements of the Trinity. We need to kind of pull all of the Scriptures together to understand the role of the Trinity. Perhaps one of the reasons that the Trinity is uh, such a challenging concept for us to, to get our head around is because it's, it's a, a doctrine that theologians have fought over. So, there were early church theologians who were what we'd probably call dualists, in that they said that, that there is God the Father, that's clearly obvious in the Scriptures, but at the birth, that's when we have God the Son come into being. God the Son wasn't at creation, God the Son was only created to come down onto earth, but this whole thing of the Spirit is not a third person of the Trinity, but actually the Spirit is the life force that comes from the Father and the Son. And that, cons- that was considered dualism and was considered heresy. And another heresy of the early church was that there wasn't three in one, but actually there were three gods, but there was a hierarchy. The Father was at the top and the Son answered to the Father and the Spirit answered to the Son. Uh, to the son. And that hierarchical concept of the Trinity was also considered heresy. And the reason that we said the creed is because it's the, the creeds of the church that were sorted out in the councils of the church that give us the doctrine of the Trinity. It's clearly laid out in Scripture, but the ways in which early theologians in the church disagreed were sorted out at the councils. And so, if you want to understand the Trinity in all its glory, we probably need to really turn to some great theologians and the council of the church. And yet, the Trinity is so central to our faith that it's a concept that even a child couldn't pick up in its simplicity. As a child growing up, as I said, my prayers would just say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the... It's such a simple concept that everybody can understand. So, I want to unpack uh, a little bit about the doctrine of the Trinity. And on your sheet here, I'm particularly going to focus on uh, some of the readings, but I'm not going to go through it line by line, and we are going to look at some of it. So, if you, if you, if you look at verse 4 of Ephesians... It's in green because we think, again, please don't have a go at me afterwards that I got one word of the thing colour-coded wrong. It was just a sort of to get you an idea of the, of the different functions and we could argue about which one of the he's represents the son or the, the father. But anyway, you get the concept that it, it's there. So, in verse 4, for he chose us in him before creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. We, 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 we hear right throughout the Scriptures this idea that God creates the world. God is the Creator of the heavens and the earth. It, and God the Father is the one that's most associated with creation. So, whilst the full Trinity was present at creation, most of the Bible actually points to God the Father, or what we would call God the Father, as the, the, the part of the Trinity most association, associated with creation. So, whenever the Bible mentions God sitting over and above creation, 
it's usually God the Father, not Jesus or the Holy Spirit, that is being mentioned there. It's not to say that Jesus wasn't at creation or didn't have a role in creation. We've got to remember, sometimes when we look at the three legs of the stool, we forget the oneness. So, wherever one part of the Godhead is, all parts of the Godhead are there. So, God the Father is associated through the Scriptures as sitting over and above creation. But it's important to understand that Jesus was there at creation. Jesus doesn't come into being at His birth in the Incarnation at Christmas, but I'll get to that in a minute. As I shared earlier in our God the Creator sermon series, our understanding of how we engage in environmental debates is helped by our Trinitarian theology. When we understand that God the Creator is not part of creation, like in our secular world we have this concept of Mother Nature, but the concept of Mother Nature is that Mother Nature is part of creation itself. Or, or if you've seen that film Avatar, that somehow we're all interconnected with the, the molecules of creation. That's a religious belief and the church rejected that religious belief. So, God the Creator sits above creation and sits and rules over all creation. So, it's important for us to apply Trinitarian theology so that we know that Jesus was there at creation. And when we talk about Jesus ascending as the risen King, that also means that He has victory over creation. He's not under the, 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 the um, direction of creation, He sits in control over the creation. And likewise, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't just come into existence on the day of Pentecost, but the Holy Spirit was there in creation and from creation, the, the existence of creation. So, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit are the Creator Gods, uh, Creator God and were there before creation came into being. But then we get to the second function of the Trinity, uh, Christ the King. The second person of the Trinity is the Son of God. Now, right at the very beginning, it was the Son of God, the Son was there at creation, but enters into creation through the Incarnation at Christmas time. And, and this entering into creation to take on human flesh is the point at which we call that Incarnation Jesus. Now we know who Jesus is, we know that Jesus was there at the beginning, but really it's, it's, it's God the Son who enters in and, and the Incarnation is where we get the name Jesus. And so, this name, Jesus, is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Through His resurrection, Jesus is associated with the Gospel of Salvation. If we, if we jump down to verse 13, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the Gospel of Salvation. It's this idea of the gospel of salvation, who makes the atoning sacrifice, who wins victory over death, that's Jesus. And so, we can also see in the Romans reading that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us since we have now been justified by His blood. This idea of those, those very tasks that happen on the cross and the resurrection are the functions of God the Son. And so, we see that Jesus is the way that we're restored into relationship with the Trinity. But it's also important that it's not just Jesus restoring 
a relationship with himself, but Jesus restoring our relationship with the Father. In both Ephesians and in our Romans reading, which you have there in front of you, the Gospel is not complete without the Holy Spirit. Paul is writing to both of these churches and you can see the role of the Holy Spirit is a little bit different in each of these. But as I said last week, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost completes the Gospel. If we stop at just the cross, we don't have the complete Gospel. If we stop at just the resurrection, we don't have the complete Gospel. We need to have the coming of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus promised in John 14 to complete the Gospel story. So when we think about the Gospel, the Gospel is totally Trinitarian. The Father sends the Son, the Son makes an atoning sacrifice for us, wins victory over evil and death and sends the Holy Spirit to take us out on the mission to make disciples of all the world. That's the Gospel in a nutshell. So Romans 5, in the, in the red there, it says, and this hope will not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So again, if you, if you read that passage in Romans, it's clear to understand that if somebody knows about God's love, it's because the Holy Spirit has made them aware of God's love. If people know about who Jesus is, it's because the Holy Spirit is with us and drawing us into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. If we can read the Scriptures and understand, it's because the Holy Spirit is drawing us in. The Holy Spirit is the one that draws us into a relationship with Jesus and Jesus points us to the Father. God the Trinity, God the Trinity is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is also the one that reminds us of our inheritance as children of God. And so if we look at uh, the second part of verse 13 and 14, it says, And when you believe, you are marked in Him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. And again, we can argue about the His there, but probably, most likely, it's good for us to even pull the word His out there and put the word Trinity in there, to the praise of the Trinity. It's the Holy Spirit that's given to us as an assurance of eternal life. In many ways, what Paul is saying to the Ephesians there is a bit like a deposit on a house. When we put a deposit down on a house, it's our guarantee that we're going to buy that house. And Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit is poured into us as a deposit of what we receive in eternal life. Knowing that we have the Holy Spirit with us is the guarantee and assurance to say that we will have eternity with God. In many ways, as Tim Keller would say, it's not our love of God that is our assurance, it's actually God's love of us that is our assurance. So why does the church celebrate Trinity Sunday every year? And I know we don't do so much of the liturgy of the church, but if you were to study the liturgy of the church, it's soaked in Trinitarian theology. Why is the doctrine of the Trinity so important? I think it's because we can so easily get functionally, not theologically, but functionally, we can get the three-legged stool out of balance. I think there are some Christians in our world today, they like certainty. They, they like the certainty that you read the Scripture and you understand it. 
And the Holy Spirit, man, that's just freaky. That's just uncertain. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing. And the Holy Spirit is described as a wind. And if you know anything about meteorology, you cannot tell where the wind is going. You can only tell the direction from which it's come. And that's the same with the Holy Spirit. And that freaks some people out. And so, functionally, they kind of actually function as though the Holy Spirit is that kind of crazy uncle at Christmas time, that you kind of know He exists, but you just kind of ignore Him and He'll go away. And yet, it's such a poor understanding for us, because it's the Holy Spirit that actually is drawing people to understand Jesus. If we say we want more people to know Jesus, if we're like a a church that's all sold out on Jesus, we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Again, some churches love the simplicity of just talking about Jesus. And and I get it, I understand it. Jesus is easy for us to understand. We can show people a scripture and they can see a human being that we also know is 100% God and they can see that and they can have a relationship with a, a human being. But this whole kind of mysterious God thing, they don't understand that and that's too impersonal. So if we just focus on Jesus, it's really easy for us. But the problem is that we need the rest of the Trinity. But also, if we read the Scriptures, what's, the, what's Jesus actually telling us? He's pointing us to our God, our Father, and He's saying that the Holy Spirit will come and be with you always. We need the three legs of the Trinity. But also, there are some Christians who really kind of think, well, the, the world wants this kind of mystery and this kind of vague spirituality, and so we'll just talk about God in mysterious ways and and, and the transcendent, and we'll kind of just leave it all up to the mystery of God. And the problem with thinking of God the Father as a mystery is that we actually forget that when we read the Scriptures, Jesus actually gives us very clear teaching and defined teaching, and that actually gives us assurance. And so, if we just keep presenting God as this mystery, it doesn't give people a solid foundation for their hope. The doctrine of the Trinity has been fought over for the history of the church because it's so vital to everything. It shapes everything that we do in the church. It shapes our understanding of the environment and creation and it will shape our debates as we engage in issues of creation. It shapes our understanding of church unity. As I said earlier, the the painting of Rublev and, and the Father, Son and Holy Spirit being there for a meal and inviting us into the community is what the church should be like. It's absolutely foreign and almost abhorrent to Paul's writing to think that the church could be splitting itself off from itself. If we understand Trinitarian theology and we function like it's important, the church would be unified and wouldn't be seeking division within the church. It also shapes our understanding of diversity in the kingdom. Because whilst we can focus on the oneness of the church, God created God's people to go through all the nations and worship in their own language and culture. And too often the church is focused on the oneness of church culture rather than seeing diversity in the kingdom as something to be celebrated. It also shapes our understanding of mission and ministry because it's the Holy Spirit that builds the church as more people come into a life-giving relationship and restored into relationship with their Creator God. It understands, it helps us understand evangelism, because it's not like we go out in our own efforts to tell people about the Gospel. 
but the Holy Spirit is working in hearts and minds before we even start talking about the gospel because the Holy Spirit is working to bring people to a life-giving relationship. And I'll finish with this one. It shapes our understanding of prayer and prayer is so vital for us. It shapes our understanding of prayer because we believe in a God who created us and, and we, we pray to Jesus who has victory over death and, and, and we pray to the Holy Spirit that is in, in, in a deposit of our inheritance. And so we can pray with confidence in a God who has been faithful in the past, is victorious in the present and will guide us into the future. So my encouragement to you this week perhaps in your prayer time, is to make sure that you're directing your prayers to the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe we don't do it and it was a long time since I've done it, but maybe even just symbolically, like so many Christians have done for centuries, in your prayer time, just sign yourself in the name of the Father, the Son, just to kind of bookend your prayer to be Trinitarian. And God, our Creator, sits over all the issues in the world In many ways, He doesn't need us, but He invites us in. So, as you pray this week, out of the complex issues that our world's facing, pray to be aligned to the will of God the Creator. And as you pray, ask God, Christ the King, who has victory over all issues in your life. Just maybe lay some of those things that you're burdened by at the foot of the cross, knowing that Jesus has victory over all. And ask the Holy Spirit to be with you always. It's a prayer that I've come to understand is vital and important and it sounds odd to keep saying come Holy Spirit I think the Holy Spirit is always with is always with us it's almost like that simple prayer come Holy Spirit is a reminder to us that the Holy Spirit is with us so this week as you pray pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit so gracious God we praise and thank you for who you are We thank you that you sent your son Jesus into the world to be one of us, that through his death and resurrection, that we have a way of being in right relationship with you and that you wouldn't leave us by ourselves, but you sent the Holy Spirit, not just to empower us for the mission, but to be a deposit inside of us, that you love us and that you will be with us and that we will be with you through all eternity. And we make this prayer in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.